when the great American storyteller, Mark Twain, was asked, what do you think, who do you think is the best storyteller ever living, who has ever lived? Mark Twain answered, Jesus Christ. Then which story is the greatest story ever told? He replied, the story of the prodigal son. We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son this morning, and, but perhaps it would be better entitled, you know, the, the story of the father's love or the story of the lost son. You see, the father is one of the main characters and the story is about his love for his lost son, his lost sons. This story tells us about a father who is totally and extravagantly loves his children. And from the story, we will see that God loves us is greater than we could ever imagine. This beloved story is as powerful and insightful, as challenging and compelling today as it was some 2,000 years ago when our Lord told it. It is one of the world's supreme masterpieces of storytelling. Its details are vivid. They reflect actual customs and legal procedures and build up the story's emotional and spiritual impact. In this story, there's rebellion, there's love, there's resentment, there's forgiveness, there's celebration, there's anger. In these simple 22 verses, there's a story of hope and hopelessness, of rejection and restoration. But before we jump into the parable of the prodigal son, we need to take a moment and set the scene. See, all of Luke chapter 15 is one unit. The parable of the prodigal son is actually the third parable in this passage. Jesus is illustrating in these three parables his answer to an accusation by the spiritual leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the teachers of law. Open your Bibles with me there to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. And I want to read for you just the first two verses as we see this accusation and then how Jesus uses these parables to answer this accusation. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the Pharisees, they were accusing Jesus of being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were among the most ostracized group of people because they were Jews that worked for Rome. They were considered dishonest and immoral. In the reality of the culture of their day, the religious leaders of their days did not welcome, they did not talk to, let alone would they ever sit down to eat with tax collectors and sinners. These religious leaders were all about pomp and circumstances. They were all about earthly recognition full of pride and smug. They were all about external, outside religious righteousness. They were all about rules and law, but not Jesus. See, no, Jesus is telling us in these three parables that he's all about redemption and restoration and second chances and hope and grace and mercy and forgiveness and new life. See, Jesus uses these three parables in Luke 15 to picture his heart. Now, there are three threads that run through each of these three parables. First is that something of high value, something that is very important has been lost. Like a sheep, or a coin, or a son. Second, that, that what is lost warrants a heartfelt, diligent search. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep 
to go look for the one. The woman turns her whole house upside down to find the lost coin. The father is looking, watching, waiting, anticipating day after day when he sees his son again. Third, when that lost is found, there is great rejoicing and a celebration. When the sheep is found, the shepherd throws a party. When the coin is found, the lady has a party to celebrate. When the lost son is found, the father throws a huge party, kills a fatted calf to celebrate. And verse 7, verse 10 of chapter 15 tells us that all of heaven, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. See, today we're going to see three ways that the Father's love changes our lives. So if you're still there in Luke 15, follow along as I read the parable of the prodigal son, starting at verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a long journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then he arose. And he came to his father, but why he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now this older son was, was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and the dancing. And he, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe. And sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost 
and now is found. Father, we pray that these words, so powerful, might be driven home in our hearts to change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first scene that we come to here is that the son leaves the father. The scene starts off with the younger son asking for his share of the family estate. He wants his inheritance now. He doesn't want to wait for the proper time. He wants it now. To understand how brazen such a request was, we need to understand that the, what the son's request meant in the Middle Eastern mind. No one in their right mind would make such a request because to ask for his inheritance early was wishing that his father was dead. He still wanted to get away and to do his own thing. He didn't want to do the hard work. He didn't want to make his own way. Instead, he was seeking a life of ease and pleasure. So he wanted to live off of his inheritance. So he wished that his father was dead. This loving father takes this hurtful offense into his heart. It must have been painful to have your youngest son to essentially say, I don't value you. I don't want you. I don't care about you. All I want is your money. All I want is your wealth. I don't even care if you're alive. I just want my money. How does the father respond? He's gracious. And he gives it to him. Now, the father's wealth isn't in money. It's not in cash in a bank somewhere. The younger son couldn't just get a check written and then leave the next day. No, the wealth of those days was in commodities and tangible property. His father would have given him flocks and herds and tools and land. In order for the son to take his inheritance with him, he would have had to turn it into cash. He would have had to sell his inheritance. The despicable attitude of the younger son was on display for everyone to see. The people of the town and the nearby area, the neighbors, the extended family members of all, of all would have known what was going on. The whole town would have been shocked and surprised and angry with the younger son for doing such a shameful thing. Well, when he finally left home, he went far away. He went where nobody would know him or his father or anything or how he got his money. And verse 13 simply says he squandered his wealth. In wild living. He wasted it. Those citizens of that distant country, his new so-called friends, were more than willing to help this frivolous foreigner spend all of his money. And sooner than he ever thought possible, his inheritance was gone. He had spent everything, and now he's in great need. But no one comes to his aid. There's a famine in land, and having no family and no friends, he's desperate for food. This young Jewish man had hit rock bottom in his life. He accepts a job, a terrible job, a job that doesn't even pay enough to fill his stomach. Takes a job feeding pigs. This is both to show us not only that he'd become so poor and desperate financially, but he had fallen so far spiritually. There was nothing spiritually left alive in him. He was as far down as anyone had ever been. He longed to eat the pig's food, but everyone around him made sure that he knew that they felt he was worthless, worth less than these pigs. He had to have started to think that perhaps they're right, perhaps I am worthless. I'm sure that in the despair and hopelessness and desperation, he just wished it was all over. What good am I anyway? Look how I've ruined my life. 
Well, a well-known speaker started off his seminar by holding up a $20 bill. In the room of over 200 people, he asked the question, who would like this $20 bill? Hands started going up all over the place. He said, I'm going to give this $20 bill to one of you first, but let me do this first. He proceeded to crumple up the $20 bill. Then he asked who still wants it. Still, hands were up all throughout uh, the auditorium. Well, he said, what if I do this? And he dropped it on the ground, ground his, it into the floor, under his shoe. Then he picked it up, now all crumpled and dirty. Now who still wants it? Still, hands throughout the audience in the air. My friends, you have all learned a valuable lesson today because it did not decrease in its value. It is still worth $20. See, many times in our lives, we're dropped, crumbled on the ground, dug into the dirt by the decisions we make ourselves, by the circumstances in life that come our way. We feel as though we're worthless. But no matter what has happened or what will happen, you will never lose your value in God's eyes. To him, dirty or clean, crumpled or finely creased, you are still priceless to him. See, it didn't matter to the people sitting in the room if the $20 bill was dirty, crumpled, or torn, or worn down. They knew that in spite of its appearance or faults, it was still a $20 bill and had not lost any of its value. They were still more willing to accept it because of its value. So it is with our God. We, we might feel useless and worthless. We might be at rock bottom like a starving, smelly, young Jewish boy feeding pigs. We might be crumpled and worn down and broken, but our value to our Heavenly Father is not decreased. Not even one tiny, tiny bit. He still sees us as precious and priceless and He waits for us to come home. No matter what you have done, no matter where you have gone, our God, our Heavenly Father, loves you. One of the truths that this passage teaches us is that we all have freedom of choice. I'm sure that the Father in this story knew that His son wasn't making wise choices, but the son was of age and make his own choices and to live with the consequences of his own choices. Though the father knew better, he allowed it. The father hoped and prayed that someday his son would learn from his mistakes and come back home. But through the heartache of it all, he had to allow his son to choose his own life. There are few joys in life as moving and as touching as those that come from our children. And there are a few heartaches in life. There are a few sorrows as deep as those that come from our children. So is the reality of parenting. So is the reality of our Heavenly Father. See, any good father weeps at the wrong and hurtful choices of their children. And our Heavenly Father is certainly a good father. Perhaps today you're dealing with such a child. Perhaps today, you are that child. You know, at differing times of our lives, we all choose to follow our own paths instead of following God's. Many times, it's not as dramatic as the prodigal son's story, but the consequences can be just as harmful. Are you right now choosing to go down a path that you know your Heavenly Father does not want you to choose? Well, don't go away. We're about to witness the extraordinary love of a father to his son, of the heavenly father to his children, of our God to us. The next scene is the return of a son. The second truth that we see in our passage today is that the father's love embraces redemption. 
This next scene starts off with a wonderful statement from the younger son. It says, when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, one of the great challenges of life is having the ability to see with clarity the situation that you are in. So often when we're in the midst of the challenges of life, clarity is so distorted by our confusion and pain. Sometimes the clarity we seek is blurred by our own unwillingness to humbly take the necessary steps of redemption and reconciliation. When we're away from God, when we're in times of rebellion, when we walked away from God, we are not ourselves. Jesus said that so long as this young man was away from God, he was not truly himself. See, the way back to himself was taking the road back to God. This is an important point this morning. If you want to find yourself like this uh, young man when he came to himself, if you want to find yourself this morning, you can only find it truly in a relationship with God. If you're seeking for clarity in the midst of a life challenge upon your heart, seek God, ask him to direct your thoughts and steps. This is the turning point for the young son. This is the moment when he finally realized that there has always been one thing he could fully rely on. And that was his father's love. His father would love him. His father would take care of him. So it is with us. There is one thing we can always fully rely on, and that is our heavenly father's love. 100% God loves you. So as young man comes to his senses, he comes to himself, he starts to make a plan on, on what he will say to his father when he goes home. He wants his father's acceptance, but at the same time he realizes that what he has done is consequences. He has wasted his whole inheritance. There is no more inheritance left for him. He has shamed his father by his actions. He has destroyed his own reputation. Coming home, though it's the right thing to do, it's not an easy thing to do. So often in life, the right thing to do is not the easy thing to do. But when we come to our senses, when we come to ourselves, doing the right thing becomes the only thing that we want to do. So he prepares a speech. It starts off with an honest evaluation that the choices that he made were selfish and wrong. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He not only acknowledges that hurt that he has given to his father, but he also understands that the choices he made have a spiritual dimension. He's not just coming back to his earthly father. He's also coming back to his heavenly father. It's not just a homecoming, reconciliation between a father and son. It's a spiritual reconciliation between the son and his God. The son figures to go home and just ask his father to allow him to be one of the hired servants. He hopes his father will welcome him home, but he believes it's too much to ask for full reconciliation. His only hope in his mind is that his father would allow him to become a hired servant. We now come to that most amazing part of the story, right? See, the father knows the son. He understands with the attitude and the ambitions with which the son left home that he would squander his inheritance. He knew his son's selfish focus would only bring him pain and hardship in the long run. So the father hopes, the father anticipates that someday his lost son will come home. And at every opportunity, he looks towards the horizon where he saw his son leave and longs to see his son return. Well, one day, 
that one day he's gazing in the distance, looking again for his lost son to return. And it happened. He saw him. It was his lost son. And what overflows from his heart? Compassion and love. And as the father runs to his son, he throws his arms around him and kisses him. The missing son is home. The lost is found. You know, running was not something that a nobleman did in those days. It was culturally undignified to run. But in front of all of his servants, in front of all of his hired help and the townspeople, the father embarrasses himself because his son is coming home and he wants to show him his love and nothing was more important to him than that. Then he hugs him and he kisses his son. The father puts his loving arms around his dirty, disheveled, broken son and hugs him and kisses both cheeks. I'm sure that tears were in their eyes, if not flowing down their cheeks. The son must have been stunned and moved by his father's love. Words can't really express the scene that's before us. We can only imagine with our hearts the overwhelming compassion and love of the father and the surprise, the hope, the acceptance, the profound sense of relief and release that the son must have felt. The son spits out his rehearsed speech. But the father doesn't respond to his speech. He responds with action. There will be time for words later, but now is a time for action. He calls to his servants to bring the best robe to put it on him, to put a ring on his finger, to put sandals on his feet. All three of these uh, signify that the lost son is being accepted back, not as a hired servant, but as a full son. The father shows his forgiveness and acceptance by his actions. The father did this for everyone to see. All the servants, all the hired help, all the townspeople saw this father redeem his child. They all saw him love, accept, forgive, and restore his son. They knew the shame and disgrace that the son had caused. And now they saw the great love, the great compassion and forgiveness of the father to the son. And then right there for all to hear, the father tells the servants to prepare the fatted calf because there is going to be a great celebration tonight. For as the scripture says, this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. And this is no small party. You only kill the fatted calf when you're holding a huge, big celebration, one in which the whole town is invited. You see, the father wanted to make it clear to anyone and to everyone that this boy was his son, forgiven, loved, and accepted. What an amazingly powerful and beautiful story. You see what Jesus is doing with the story? He is personally communicating to every person who ever wanted to take a step towards God how significant we are to him. The father in the story for us is how our Heavenly Father feels about us. See, God doesn't sit around with his arms crossed, with some sour look on his face, just waiting for us to turn back to him so he can scold us and wag his finger at us and tell us all these terrible things we've done wrong and tell us to just sit right down there. I'm going to put you into your place because you didn't listen to me like you should have. And with some judgmental attitude, he just condemns us all. No. That's not our God. See, our God is searching the horizon. He's anticipating that we will come back to him. He knows us. 
He knows what's happened. He knows the hurt and the pain, the fear, the disillusionment. He knows what we have done, and his heart is full of compassion. He longs to hold and forgive his children. So when we turn back home, he runs to greet us, to hug us, to kiss us. He doesn't let us bear the shame of our lives alone. He comes to us with new forgiveness, with real healing and fresh hope and full acceptance and abounding love. He stands up and says, this is my child. Bring the best robe. Put it on this one. Put a ring on their finger. Put new sandals on their feet. This is my daughter. This is my son. They were lost, but now they're found. And then God starts the celebration. So you just stop for one moment and contemplate this biblical truth. We've just been illustrated for us. This is our God. Our God and his love and his patience. He believes in us. We're significant to him. Pastor Matt Chandler talks about a moment in his life. He's at a concert with some friends and the preacher is given a message. He starts off handling this perfect rose. He smells it and he points out its amazing beauty. And then he hands it into the crowd to pass it around. At the end of the message, he, he gets the rose back. It's no longer very pretty. It's bent. Petals have fallen off. It's worn. It's broken. What was once a desirable rose is now unattractive and worthless. The preacher said that this is what sin does to us. It breaks us and makes us undesirable. Then he said to drive his point home, who wants this rose? Nobody said anything. Nobody wanted the rose. But Matt Chandler says he had a moment with God at that concert that realized the truth that changed him significantly. He realized somebody wants that rose. Somebody wants that broken down, ugly, worn out rose. Jesus wants that rose. Jesus wants the rose. See, the prodigal son story is Jesus yelling at the top of his voice, I want the rose. I want the rebellious son. I want the broken. I want the people who feel worthless. I want those who are lost. I love you. I want to give you me. You see, in differing times of our lives, we're all like that young son. We've all turned away from God. We've all chosen our own path. We've all squandered obedience for the pleasures of our own selfish desires. Our God is not waiting and rejecting us. No, our God is actively reaching out in love with his arms open wide, running to us to embrace us and welcome us back home. That's our God. He wants the rose. He wants us. Well, our final point today is that the Father's love encourages reconciliation. See, the older son is having a real hard time with all this attention that's getting paid to the younger son. He becomes angry. Instead of being able to see the big picture, all he can do is compare himself with his younger brother. That breeds resentment in his heart. Even though all the father owns is going to him, the older son is still not willing to open up his heart and accept his brother. The older brother refuses to go to the party as his dad comes out to see him. He's so hurt thinking that the father is so kind in forgiving his brother. I've done everything that you asked of me and you don't throw me a party. Instead, the loving father, instead of seeing the love of the father, he wants his brother to be put in his place. See, the older brother here in this story is a picture of the Pharisees, of these outside false religious people. 
Here's a picture of how religious people respond to the love of God, to the broken roses, younger brothers of this world. He wants to condemn them and reject his brother. Instead of seeing God's great plan of redemption, the Pharisees wanted God to grade on works and deeds what they had done. See, look at us. We're great. We're awesome. Look, we do everything you want. We keep the Old Testament perfect. We're righteous. Look at us. We're great. They looked great on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were far from God. Matthew 5.20, Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. No one in Jesus' day was more honored or thought more righteous than the Pharisees. Such a radical statement by Jesus. From just an outside look, no one was more righteous. I mean, look at these guys. They're perfect. But from God's perspective, and by the way, the only one that counts, it's not the outward righteousness that God wants, but an inward relationship. See, no amount of religious actions can ever earn favor with God. God doesn't want mere outward conformity. He wants our hearts. Perhaps today you could rightly say, just like the older brother, that you have done your religious duty. But are you outside while the party is going on inside? You look good on the outside, but on the inside, is there no real relationship with Jesus? Your actions are just a show for all to see because your real heart is far from an ever-growing commitment to Jesus Christ. What God is saying to you this morning, come in to the party. Stop trying to earn your own way. Start trusting. Start living for me. Give me your heart, your whole heart in life. Listen to this. No matter how many steps you've taken away from Jesus, no matter how far your journey has taken you, the reality is that it only takes one step to get back. And then God comes running with his compassion and forgiveness. Come to Jesus. Take that step of redemption and reconciliation because he is looking for you. Perhaps today you finally come to the realization that God looks at the heart. He, he doesn't have some set of hoops for you to jump through to get his approval. God doesn't want you to be some guilt-driven, self-effort, full of failure and outside righteousness. No, he wants your heart. He wants you to be motivated by gratitude and love and grace. Perhaps today you're that younger son that needs to turn back to the Father and find his love and acceptance. Perhaps today, on this day, you just need to be refreshed and renewed in the lavish love of our Father. Ernest Hemingway wrote a story about a father and his teenage son. In the story, the relationship had become strained and the teenage son runs away from home. Then his father begins a journey in search for that rebellious son. Finally, in Madrid, Spain, and in a last desperate attempt to find the boy, the father puts an ad in a local newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, father. The next day, in front of that newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness. They were all seeking the forgiveness of their father. Please take the moment right now as we go to prayer, turn to your Heavenly Father and come home. Come home. His love for you is greater 
than you ever imagined. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this morning, I am blown away by your love. It's unbelievable. It is so powerful and precious. It has changed my life. You love Brian Etheridge. And that has made every difference to me. And Lord, you could say that now for, for each one of us. Each one of us in our heart could say to you, I love, and we say our name, you love us. It's amazing, it's wonderful, it's true, and the prodigal son story yells it at us, convincing us of your lavish love. We pray now for each one of us, wherever we're at in our lives, wherever we're at, right now in the quietness of our, their own prayer, come home. Look to the Father. Renew your relationship with Him. And you will find a grace and forgiveness like none other. Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth of this story. In Jesus' name, amen.